And now it's time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. And on the line, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I got so much to talk about this morning. We better get at it. Here's a show where we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. And it's unimportant. We try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? I have a shout-out. Shouting out for Trayvon Brown, a high school student in Marion, Indiana which is a, a very conservative town. They voted heavily for Trump. There's a lot, a lot of rednecks in Marion, Indiana, who decided there should be a peaceful march, and the bikers were going to see to it that it didn't happen, and he saw to it that it did happen, pulled off a really successful, peaceful march in Marion, Indiana. My compliments to Trayvon Brown. And then I want to shout out to the more than 1,200 members of the United States National Academy of Science signing a letter to DDT and to the federal government generally saying it's time to restore science to governing what we do with things that are ultimately governed by science. Oh, of course, DDT will probably just tweet some snarky thing or pay no attention to it at all. But, and we need to talk about the DDT's interview with Chris Wallace. Before we do that, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about John Lewis. Rest in peace, John Lewis. John Lewis, who eight eight months ago, nearly, nearly eight months ago, announced that he'd been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, which is a death sentence. The only question is how long. Your uncle, my brother, passed. Uh, he managed to make four months after he was diagnosed. But John Lewis made it, died at 80, and I, we had a really special privilege with John Lewis when, when my spouse Meredith was chair of the Democratic Party of Oregon he was invited to come out and came out and spoke to a, an event in Portland. And she and I took him to the airport after the event. And when we got to the airport, he realized that he had left his briefcase back at the event. And so I dropped him and Meredith off, and I hustled back downtown and got it. But what it did, it would gave Meredith an opportunity to have 40 minutes one-on-one -on -one with John Lewis, which she treasured for the rest of her life. And I want to I want to join the chorus. Yeah, I got to ask, though, I got to ask, did you rig that? Did you, in fact, capture his briefcase and hide it? I was it sort not. of a lead-behind to I enable was, that? I was totally innocent. All right. And, and he was so gracious. He was so gracious. We had to insist that it was okay for me to go do that. And it was just wonderful. And I want to join in what I hope becomes a chorus that the Edmund Pettus Bridge should be renamed the John Lewis Bridge. Edmund Pettus was a horrible racist, a Ku Klux Klan, a, a, just a horrible racist. And it would be so great to change that bridge where John Lewis nearly lost his life to a bunch of stormtroopers from the state police for that to be named after him. 
And while we're talking about passing, we should also mention... Well, let me dwell on that for a moment, if I could, Pop. Go for it. Uh, the Edmund Pettus, a little bit about him. He was represented Alabama in the United States Senate. And to give an impression, there was so much whitewashing, I think, before after the Civil War, so much attempt to reconcile with the South, uh, not, and then insufficiently dealing with the uh, moral... Uh, evil that had been uh, perpetrated upon specifically the black community in the United States. But here's an example. Edmund Pettus had served as a senior officer in the Confederate States Army. And then later, in 1897, ends up serving 10 years in the U.S. Senate, right, as a, as a traitor, right, as, a, as someone who had picked up arms against the United States, ended up serving in the United States Senate. They got a bridge named after him. Question I've got is should and this is this question is coming from Carol Collymore and others, a friend of the show. Should Jefferson High School be renamed the John Lewis High School? Jefferson High School, whose uh, statue of Thomas Jefferson was removed recently, and there is now a citywide, school district wide discussion about many of our school names, including Madison High School, including Jefferson High School, maybe including Franklin High School, Wilson High School, we already know that one is changing. Presumably Lincoln and Cleveland will stay the same. Dad, I hesitate even maybe to ask your thoughts on renaming Jefferson High School, but I wanted to flag that. What was your next story? Are you asking my thoughts? Either way. Well, I, I, I continue to be a, an admirer of Thomas Jefferson, recognizing his flaws. Here was somebody who, who said slavery was an evil, but nonetheless never released his slaves because if he, if he had done so, he probably would have had to go bankrupt because he couldn't afford to run his farm. But I still, he started something, he helped start something which... Uh, which I believe in very deeply, and without him, it might not have happened. And it doesn't so, remove him from history to rename the to rename the high school, though. The and and Jefferson Jefferson High has has such a, a wonderful record in Portland, and and what Jefferson High has contributed to Oregon, not just because they've been very successful athletically, but the the dancers, the Jefferson dancers, a marvelous thing, and and, and I think that uh, that's a part of history that can continue to be honored. The difference is let's let's, cra- let's crack I, on. I, wait a minute, I'm not done. The there is there is nothing honorable on balance. There is nothing honorable about what. Jefferson Davis did what the other, what the generals Stonewall Jackson et al nothing honorable and balanced in what they did and and removing their statues to a museum where you can teach that it was not honorable that they were traitors and removing their names from streets and from bases and from Places that that uh, really were given because they people wanted to honor them or at least to kowtow them to seems appropriate. 
Yeah, I, I, I've already just feel like we spent too much time on it, and the that that our view, my my view that I'll offer again is just that I don't think we get to decide, and I think that where it's an area where our um, where that goes beyond our expertise, that goes beyond our lived experience, and that we offer less wisdom on the topic than we might that we might think we do. But I hear what you said. What's next? I want to acknowledge the passing also of C. T. Vivian at 95, who was one of the great leaders in the civil rights movement, and acknowledge the passing of jo- Joanna Cole, who was the author of The Magic School Bus, which has done a wonderful thing in interesting grade school kids in science. Dad, did you watch the Donald Trump-Chris Wallace interview, and what were your takeaways? I watched it to the extent that it was possible to watch it online last night. I think I caught all of it. My takeaway is, first, I'm delighted that Chris Wallace was willing to ask some of the questions he did. I continue to be disappointed in Chris Wallace and national interviewers generally, which do not seem to understand the importance of follow-up questions, of sometimes saying, I must not have made my question clear. Let me ask it again. And then if once again the interviewee goes off tangent, no, but you you haven't answered my question. My question is, and then if he continues to do it, do I conclude that you are not willing to answer that question? Why they're not why they don't do that just drives me crazy. But that he was willing to take him take DDT on directly about the claim that Joe Biden wanted to, to defund the police and supported defunding the police, which was wonderful. He, he calls to his assistant offhand, bring me, bring me the document, and the, brings the document, and sure enough, cannot find it there. What was your, what, what, did you catch the whole thing? And I would be really interested if, particularly if you were able to catch the whole thing without the interruption that I found online every every couple of minutes it would stop and then start again and whether something was left out in between I could not tell so what were your thoughts there's some takeaways that are I think impacting the conversation one uh, we talked about the monument question he continues to defend the confederate flag uh, the to me one of the more despicable comments he made was essentially equating uh, the uh, when he says, "Well, you're not," Chris Wallace asks, "You're not offended by the Confederate flag?" And he said, "Well, I'm not offended by Black Lives Matter either. They're both freedom of speech." And equating uh, taking up arms against the nation for the right to not only racially discriminate but for the right to own a human being, and to equate that with a movement that is saying lives matter. That is, and that the black community needs to be honored and protected and held safe and given equal opportunity. This is a, uh, that was despicable to me. Some other takeaways, he continued to say, well, at some point the coronavirus will disappear. At some point it'll disappear. Yeah, (laughs) of course, it may take 10 years. And then he will say, see, I told you, I told you. Oh, gosh. And... He uh, anyway. So those are my keep going, Deb. And while while we're while we're talking while we're talking about the COVID, he he is he is just in total denial. And it was, it was interesting when he was asked, "Are you responsible?" He said, "Well, yeah, I'm in charge of everything. So ultimately, I'm responsible for everything." But he still is 
Shell is not responsible for the fact that we're running out of PPEs again and that hospitals, especially in Florida and Arizona, don't have room for, for folks who need to be in the hospital takes no responsibility at all. What do you got next? A lot of COVID stuff. Hong Kong, France, Melbourne have all made wearing masks outside of the home mandatory, not just inside someplace else, but you leave home, you got to have a mask on. The Nebraska governor, George Ricketts, to give just an idea how 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 blind blind some of these Republican leaders can be. He has told counties in Nebraska that if they require people to wear masks when they come into county buildings, the state will withdraw funding for them. So they're just saying, hey, county employees, you have to be willing to risk death if you want to get paid. Oh, so awful. The uh, Multnomah County opening has been put on hold. Pool testing. Pool testing is an interesting concept. What, what pool testing means is that you test four samples all at once. And if they all come out not positive, that's great. That's four people that you've done in the, in the time that it takes to do one. If you get a positive from the four, then you have to go back and test the four individually to find out which of the four it was, but but that sounds to me like like uh, has some real promise, particularly because the delay in getting results of testing in many places around the country is absolutely absurd, and I don't understand it because your brother Jonathan, who has Kaiser uh, who's Kaiser Insurance, was experiencing a, a little bit of a sore throat. And he went to Kaiser and got tested and got the results later the same day. So it has to be possible to do that. Bend, Bend is telling people, Beth Bend, Oregon, telling people to stay home until Labor Day. Uh, one of the things that, uh, what, what, what probably is going to have to happen with tests, we need to get to where just about everybody, or at least Everybody that uh, works outside the home, has to be outside the home, is getting tested at least once a week. And then with contact tracing, appropriate quarantining, all of that, I think, can be done, needs to be done. Lots of fallout from the COVID. Interesting, some interesting things. The uh, In the United Kingdom, there are all kinds of archaeological discoveries being made by people who are staying home and therefore have nothing to do but garden, and they go out and they're finding all kinds of stuff underneath the grass or underneath the gardens in their yard. An interesting thing is that the Indo-Chinese countries, as Laos and Vietnam and Cambodia and Thailand, have done a remarkable job in dealing with the virus. They've just absolutely remarkable. And I, I, I'm wondering, maybe our international correspondent might have some insight into what they have done and why that has worked so well. Other, si- other 
things by COVID because people are staying home and not going to restaurants and not putting out garbage so much. The rats in New York have have become very, very, um, what's the word? Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm blocking on where they, they, they become, started attacking all kinds of stuff. And Wells Fargo has had its first quarterly loss in a long time. And DDT, the White House, continues its Fauci vendetta. And DDT, of course, tried to deny that in his interview. He said, well, Fauci is sometimes an alarmist, but I like him. We get along all the time that without any question, his encouragement and almost certainly his direction his staff and the White House, Navarro and all, are doing everything they can to discredit Fauci. Before we get away from talking about the interview, the DDT interview, he uh, he said that he might veto the next assistance bill if it did not include reducing or getting rid of the Social Security tax that the that, that is just so far out. It's hard. It's hard to believe, and his testing fantasy knows no bounds. While we're talking about four COVID, 436 Oregon cases yesterday. The three people died uh, recently, all old, 90, 80, and 62, and all had underlying conditions. If you have underlying conditions and you're on the wrong side of 60, stay home which I'm doing, by the way. I don't have any underlying conditions, but I'm pretty much staying home. The, uh, I, want to talk, I want to talk about what the feds are doing here. The, uh, the attack on Donovan Labella, who, by the way, apparently is recovering remarkably well, and, and our delegation... Our congressional delegation is demanding information. Billy Williams, the U.S. attorney here, is has asked the Homeland Security IG and Inspector General to investigate the Labella injury and what's going on. And I I would be very interested in your take as to what. Oh, and I I should also mention that. The chairs of at least three, I think four House committees, federal House committees, are asking for answers on what's going on with Homeland Security. But I just, I just am seeing the risk of of a, a federal police force answerable only to the president just out of control. What, 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 are, what, what are your thoughts on it? About which part? Say again? About which part? What's most, what the are you most thing, curious the, about? The, the, the whole, whole Homeland Security folks in camouflage and unmarked cars coming in without invitation, claiming that all they're doing is protecting federal buildings, but nailing people blocks away from federal buildings, and the, the whole idea of, of that being appropriate. I, I don't think there's any argument that's appropriate. The uh, It is... Uh, certain things that come to mind it's a broad question the uh, certain things come to mind we know that it's political spectacle 
I am curious about the impact that it's having on the mayor's race. Uh, one of the bigger decisions that needs to be made by Portland is who our next mayor will be, and will it be the same mayor or will it be a new mayor? And I don't have a good enough sense, I don't think Portlanders have a good enough sense of how the mayor has engaged. I think the mayor right now feels in betwixt. I think he feels tugged. He doesn't like the idea. He thinks it's politically smart to go after Trump, uh, but he is, uh, I think he is a bit weary of the protests, and he wants to maintain some relationship with the police bureau, including the police association. And so that's a dynamic that I think is uh, is important locally, where I think we can shed some, at least shed some attention on, that each night between, you know, 1.30 and 5.30, particularly like 1.30 to 4.30, when much of this stuff is happening, when much of the now with tear gas and rubber bullets that Judge Simon's order put a block to, that order does not apply to the federal officers. Now, uh, Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum has uh, has filed a lawsuit at the request of, of Kate Brown, has filed a lawsuit to try to impose restrictions on the federal officers. Uh, I think that if, if we're trying to understand what's going on, trying to understand what's going on, here's some of the more important dynamics. I do believe that right now this is a some degree of Potemkin Village. This is some degree of Kabuki Theater. This is some degree of a show, a show of faux strength so that the President of the United States can look not just like somebody who has a 39.6 approval rating, not just like somebody who has enacted, has perpetrated the greatest executive failure in American presidential history. And I don't think I'm overstating. I think this is the greatest uh, executive failure in presidential history. Look at New Zealand, who has zero cases right now. Uh, South Korea, Japan, multiple cases. Uh, at Japan and New Zealand, yeah, they're, they're more waterlocked than we are. But, uh, but we are right now the epicenter. Our death rate is six times higher than the global average. 140,000 people have now died. Anything that the president can do. So the question you have for me is, well, what do you think about federal officers? Keeps us asking the question about, wait a minute, is this is this president a one term president? Hey, wait a minute. Is this president in cahoots with it? It keeps us from asking about the fact that the judge on this is a scary thing that that came across my transom yesterday was the uh, was the killing of the family members of the judge in the Deutsche Bank case. That just happened yesterday. They were assassinated. Somebody came by and shot him down and ran away, and that person's still at large. Uh, and the and it was the judge's husband and the judge's uh, son, and the son died, and the husband is in critical condition. And this is a judge that, and this shooting came four days after they were put in charge of, uh, of a Deutsche Bank case. It's very strange and alarming. Anytime we're talking about this and that there's national news looking, oh, look, they're going after protesters in Portland. It means we're not talking about the risk of us heading towards a depression. It means it doesn't talk about the fact that I think the Fed is probably going to start investing in stocks, which it hasn't done before, uh, and getting more and more, uh, adding to sort of the moral hazard of the markets. So I think that's some of it. That's not to say the protests are merely distraction, but it is the topic that we've seen in Ukraine. We saw in with Putin trying to maintain order, 
that his his minister of communications would uh, would stoke would provoke little uprisings including implanting folks within the uprisers in order for the uprising to happen so that sure, he could so quell that, it so that so that uh, the gov- government media could report on it just as the government media Hannity and company are doing now uh, want to uh, want to acknowledge one of the key takeaways from the uh, interview with Fox News was that Donald Trump would not commit to a to leaving yeah to leaving office if he lost the election and that of course I think is among the top five most important questions in the world right now uh, one of those questions is will the will there be a free election will that free like enough margin that it will be clear uh, and then the other is will we have a peaceful transition of power in this country as we have had for 200 years and, and I have to say I ha- it is so distressing to me that nearly 40 percent of American voters can still say they support this guy. I mean, what he has done and what he has not done, and who he is. I mean, just the horrible human being that he is. How can four out of every ten people say, yeah, he's my guy, just blows my mind. A housing urban development rule will allow or would allow shelters to decide who is a woman. The proposed rule gives federally funded shelters the ability to send trans people to shelters of the opposite gender based on physical characteristics. It reverses an Obama-era rule requiring shelters to take in people based on their self-identified gender identities. The rule allows staff to judge based on, and I'm quoting, factors such as height, the presence but not the absence of facial hair, the presence of an Adam's apple, and other physical characteristics which, when considered together, are indicative of a person's biological sex. One in five trans people in the United States experience houselessness, according to the National Center for Transgender Equality. So the intersection of houselessness and homelessness and the transgender experience is an important one. There is no evidence, by the way, of any significant threat of cis men posing as trans women to enter women's spaces. Enter women's spaces. I know that if you have any thoughts on that one and how we can better protect trans people. Well, I, I am reminded of something that I learned from the friend, the friend of mine who was my best man at your mother and my wedding, who, as a medical student at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, one of the things that that they got was a session with individuals who identified with the sex opposite to the one that they apparently were born in, born as based upon their plumbing south of their navel, and and one one truck driver who said, I I just think that a mistake was made when when I was born because I really am a woman and biologically if you looked at his Adam's apple and his beard and his plumbing he was not a woman that that this is this is a phenomenon that has existed forever and you ought to allow a person to identify with who he believes himself or herself to be or themselves 
couple of international things that I just want to mention. The United Arab Emirates have sent a Mars mission. It's going to take about seven months for their satellite to get to Mars, and then it's going to circle Mars for one Mars year, which is approximately two Earth years. The Chinese ambassador insists that the way their treatment of the Uyghurs, however that is pronounced, is okay, despite being shown a video of them in shackles being loaded. The, the ability of authoritarian, or really with Chinese it's probably fair to say totalitarian governments, to do the 1984 thing where truth is lie and lie is truth is really quite amazing. I'm wondering when the Saudis are going to say to their government, it is enough, when Saudis, largely because of what's happening with oil price, Saudis are really starting, they got economic problems. When, when MBS, who's the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, is enjoying his $550 million yacht, and then something that I would be interested in your take on, there's a hue and cry because there apparently is a, a theft of theft of vaccine research. And people upset about theft of vaccine research. And my reaction is that is really kind of, so what? Why should vaccine research be secret to begin with? You should think that we would want everybody cooperating with vaccine research, sharing everything that they learn so that we can get to a successful vaccine as soon as possible. Uh, what am I missing? Well, there are a couple things, and I don't have an ultimate view on it, but the, uh, the theft that I'm aware of is Russian hackers attempting to steal the research from American, British, and Canadian uh, researchers. And one uh, concern is if there is uh, a um, is if this is akin to a Cold War uh, technology fight. If the next uh, if the next frontier of global conflict is in fact uh, biological, that uh, that stealing biological secrets are national security secrets, and if this is not just about finding a cure but about sabotage, or not just about finding a cure, but be able to find an even more dangerous, contagious mousetrap in the future. I think that is part of the, I think that is part of the concern. Of course, how much is that the concern? How much it is uh, hopes by researchers to maintain uh, ownership of what they make and make sure that they make a bunch of money off it, uh, and how much they're the ones that are asking national security national security forces to please, please protect their future profits. I will say, I, I do think it does bring up a question about intellectual property and what should, how, how should intellectual property be treated when it comes to infectious disease and when it comes to fighting infectious disease. And here's easy ground. If somebody wants to, have, if somebody wants to have their cocktail party conversation, their water cooler conversation, I guess people don't hang around water coolers anymore. Their zoom meeting conversation, their Twitter conversation, to me, the uh, one piece of absurdity I'll offer on this, or at very least a very closely adjacent topic, is our is that in our country, we spend lots of public money on research, as we should. R and D is not always profitable, and it's deeply important to move forward the human experience. But in our country right now, in other countries, when they do that, 
They then put restrictions on the price and or the people get a cut of the deal. But here, there are no restrictions on price, even when the money that's being used and a lot of the expertise that's being used has been fueled by NIH grants, etc., by CDC grants, etc. And I do think that there ought to be uh, more public involvement on the pricing side or on the profit side. It's a little bit like uh, public stadiums, where in with sports stadiums, the people are asked to socialize the costs, but privatize the benefits. And that asymmetry leads to growing wealth disparities and also just unfairness and silliness. So I would offer that. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just would think that if there, if there were one place where it ought to be possible for there to be true international cooperation, it would be in the effort to defeat a international worldwide pandemic. The uh, uh, by the way, before I leave the international, United Kingdom has told Huawei that they will not be allowed to participate in their 5G program there. But while we're talking about hacking, the the hacking of the Twitter accounts of, of over 100 people, including Obama and Biden and Musk and Gates, to to put out saying, hey, listen, if you'll send us a thousand bitcoins will send you two thousand bitcoins back but something i have not seen reported on the first time that i saw that happen that where this offer was being made and i and i wish i wish i had recorded at the time because i just i thought Drew, that's really weird was as a what apparently was an ad on either the guardian or the new york times i think it was the new york times which and, and again I'm, it was either, I think it was saying Soros was making the offer, but it might have been Buffett was making the offer. I thought, but anyway, here, here was a thing right in the stuff that I get from the newspaper that had this thing: if you send a thousand dollars, thousand in bitcoins to, and it was either Soros or Buffett, they will send you back two thousand. I thought, well, that sounds weird, but how? Why would the newspaper allow that if they were not legitimate? And then a few hours later came the report that all this hacking went on. Uh, Apparently somebody was able to hack into a newspaper and get it in in what they're sending out on on the Internet. Uh, Dad, the family of Brianna Taylor claims that she was alive after police shot her, was not offered aid. For several minutes. Taylor's family revised their lawsuit, claiming that she lived for five to six minutes after she was shot. Kenneth Walker Taylor's boyfriend, who's in her home with her, told investigators she was coughing and asking the police for help after she was shot. Jefferson County Coroner Barbara Weekly Jones refuted this claim, saying that I'm sure as soon as they got up to her, she was dead. Eighty-seven protesters were arrested en masse outside the home of Daniel Cameron, the Attorney General of Kentucky, on Tuesday. The Jefferson County Attorney Mike O'Connell has dismissed felony charges. Only one officer involved in the death of Breonna Taylor has been fired. Dad, how can Taylor's killers be held accountable without relying on the same criminal justice system that failed her in the first place? They can't. We have to. We have to rely on the system. That is why we have. We are. I hope taking a really serious look at the system and uh, everything that it historically has come out of, and the need to make it relevant to what is needed today. Well, Dad, I think it's time for election news. You ready? Yes, I got some politics stuff. Who who do you think should uh, 
who should be put in charge of the Foreign Affairs Committee now in the House now that Engel is gone? Uh, Julian Castro is uh, has thrown his hat in the ring. That's something the force to keep our eye on. There there appears to be an absolutely inverse relationship between presidential polls and the number of COVID cases that are happening. Uh, Explain that. As as uh, more cases are reported, fewer people, not, not nearly as many fewer people as should be, but fewer people are saying that Trump is handling the COVID problem well. And did I say this on the air? I can't remember. If I, 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 may, I, I certainly said it in my life. I can't remember if I said it on the air. But I do wonder that the Chuck of the Chuck Woolery phenomenon, I at least haven't said that on the air. At where Chuck Woolery was tweeting all... Remember him? He was the guy that it was Love Connection, right? Or was it Dating Game? I think it was Love Connection. And he was a you know TV host. And he's a strong Trump supporter. And he has been talking about how the COVID-19 was a hoax and everybody was lying. And then he said, my son's got it. Uh, COVID-19 is real. And he deleted his Twitter account. And I've wondered if the Chuck Woolery effect what impact that might have. And I don't mean him. Like, will people care that much about what happens to Chuck Wheeler? Wheeler, I hope his kid is okay. Uh, but will there be that? We saw this with same-sex marriage. We saw this with discrimination of the LGBTQ community uh, or LGBTQIA community that they, that, that more and more people in America became comfortable with the idea of same-sex marriage in specific when they started realizing that there were people in their own life, in their own workplace, in their own family, in their own circle, on their own sports teams, etc., who themselves were gay. And that really impacted. I'll never forget giving a talk to a group of high school students, and it was, uh, it was, mo- it was student body presidents and student counselors, student council members from around the state. I remember and, I was there. And, and when you do it, when you, when you do that in Oregon... That means you're dealing with a lot of rural and suburban Oregon, right? Because it has a, has a lot of people, and generally, you know, the bigger school, like you'll have smaller schools, but they have just as many members of the student council, right? So you have, you know, high school of 400 people still has a president, vice president, etc. School of 2,000 people has the same one. So it, it generally skews a little bit. Like if you go to boys' state or girls' state, it skews a little bit anti-majoritarian in terms of the country. All right, so, and I asked a question about... Uh, we, we've had this little exercise which got people to identify issues and then ask for the quick straw polls on the issues. And abortion came up, and the room was just split. The room was uh, even more split than the Oregon voting populace, but split in the way I would think for the geographic representation in the room. And then I asked about same-sex marriage. It was another issue that was identified was by the young people. And it was overwhelming that the kids from around the state were in favor of same-sex marriage. It did not track the views on choice. And this is, this is what, Pop, 10 years ago? Uh, maybe, maybe 13? Uh, and, and that's when I realized, oh, we're going to win this. This one's going to get won. And one of the big dynamics, all the research said, was because people were learning about uh, people around the country, including people in rural areas, were realizing there were people in their life that uh, had a lived experience that was different than they recognized. I wonder if that's going to be similar with COVID-19, that it's one thing if Fox News is telling you it's not real. It's one thing if, uh, if Breitbart is telling you it's all a hoax. 
but my neighbor or my kid or my cousin or my dad or my ma got it. Oops. I guess maybe this is real. Yeah. Your own workplace is shut down, not because not because of Obama. I know he's not the president. Not because of Kate Brown, but shut down because somebody actually got sick or heaven forbid somebody died. Then all of a sudden that could start changing the dynamic. But that's so foolish because we already know all we have to do is look at the math and the science and we could grapple with the truth. I still hope that impacts even some of our extended family who I still see as part of that 25 percent of the country who thinks that, you know, masks are absurd and the thing is overblown and et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, I know I might not be covering new turf, but I'm calling that now the Chuck Woolery effect. And I think the Chuck Woolery effect uh, is something worth tracking politics absentee ballot well well voting by mail the uh, there are a lot of problems that are gonna gonna have to be solved we need we need states just coming to oregon and seeing how well we do coming to washington see how well they do because new york is still has thousands and thousands of absentee ballots which have not been counted california has passed a law saying that as long as your ballot is postmarked the day of election and it is received within 17 days, it will be counted. The, uh, the Having vote by mail is not just getting people the ballot, but you're developing a way to count them quickly so that you're not six months later not still sure what the closed election went. That's a challenge. Did you did you catch Kanye West's South Carolina opening? I caught what he said about Harriet Tubman. He got a couple hundred people to come, and apparently they were so raucous that he couldn't get them to be quiet. So it was hard for him to say his piece. But he, uh, I think maybe he slipped his cable. <laughs> well, that's a good Joe Smithism. We should probably collect those. <laughs> I I don't I don't like to laugh about such things, but but that one that one got me. Just okay. Uh, no, it, it is sad, right? It is sad. What's happening to Kanye West is sad. And what my wife was saying, listen, if you were if Jeff, if you were going up running for president, and he said, imagine if we were Kanye West and the Kardashians. She said, well, first of all, we'd have a lot more money. And she said, second of all, if we went, if you were going out and like running for president and going out and saying that Harriet Tubman didn't actually free slaves, she just like moved from from one white family to another white family the uh i would tell you don't do that anymore don't run for president anymore this is not the place for you cut an album make some shoes you know do various things doesn't mean you can't opine on anything heck work on uh work on uh uh, criminal justice reform which they're working on previously but maybe you shouldn't be running for president so i don't know it takes a village to enable somebody to do this and uh and i hope that people will try to enable a little bit less some quick national stuff. That no, I wait, wait, no, we're on election news, Dad. I don't have any more election news. Do you? <laughs> I do. Go for it. It's, it's a, yeah, we, both are here. Uh, this is uh, a story on NBC, Trump's new campaign tactic. I take issue with calling it a new campaign tactic, but involves accusing Biden of socialism. Uh, but those <laughs> jabs... All that new. Holy cow. Uh, Biden is rising in the polls. Trump's main attacks are on his mental fitness, his ties with Ukraine. That Those were his main attacks. Now, his main attack is uh, Joe Biden as a hapless tool of the extreme left. 
That's his new campaign manager, Bill Stepien. That's the quote. So that's it. So you'll see all kinds of memes, and they're going out and saying, "Oh, look, he's he's actually he signed a thing with Bernie Sanders. He's friends with Elizabeth Warren. He's like he hasn't told Alexandria Ocasio Cortez to I don't know do something rude." Uh, former Republican Senator Judd Gregg of New Hampshire supported those claims. So the Democratic Party would install a vice presidential candidate, use the 25th Amendment to topple Biden in a coup within months of the election. What they realized is the country now wants Joe Biden to be the president. <laughs> and, and so, so their only argument, their only argument is that he won't really be the president. He's not really the president. It's going to be these other elements. You might like you might like Uncle Joe, but remember what you're really getting is something nefarious. So that's their and so, to the extent that the, and the interesting thing about that uh, that I'm going to be interested in watching is is one of the problems that that has, in my judgment, correctly been posited for Joe Biden is the lack of enthusiasm. The the folks that the the Sanders supporters and the Warren supporters were uh, were excited about their candidate. And the more the R's say that Biden is listening to Warren and listening to Sanders, it strikes me as liable to make people think, well, maybe we should be excited about Joe Biden, because turnout is going to be extremely significant. The This is right now where, where it's really changing, what's really impacting the landscape is that Biden has a historic lead among suburbanites right now. In a new ABC Washington Post poll showing Biden leading Trump 55 to 40 among registered voters, other polls have showed between an 8 and 15 point lead. Uh, in the presidential race, in the 2016 presidential race, Trump was beating Clinton by 45 to 35 in suburban, uh, among suburban voters. Obama won the sur- suburbs by just two points. If, in fact, if, in fact, the there is a large Biden shows now 52 to 43, if he does, if that nine point margin is real in, among suburban voters and if it holds, here's the significance. It's not just this is not a Trump and O'Biden story. It's Trump and O'Biden, uh, a Trump and Biden story. This is not just a presidential election story. This is a congressional story. This is a state representative story, because think about Oregon. It's not that different from other states. So you have urban centers. You have rural, I guess not centers, and then you have suburbs and exurbs, of course, right? And what we know is that generally state legislative chambers and Congress are determined by what happens in those suburban and exurban districts. And this is, and this is again, this isn't even just a federal power story. This is a next 10 year story. This is a movement worthy election potentially. This means that if that leader, this is one of the most important polling stats that I have seen since I've been paying attention to these presidential polls, because if they're that kind of suburban coattails, that means there could be flips in state state legislative power all over the country. What does that mean? It means Democrats will be in control of redistricting in states all over this country. And that means there is a chance to have a more majoritarian government in this country for the first time since before the last redistricting when there when it went the other direction. So that's the election news that I'll offer there, Pop. Avi Brown is the co-founder of Devani, a Portland apparel company, who has launched the Million Mask Challenge and also is aiming to distribute masks to every American. Avi, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. My dad is also with us. I think he can hear me. He might be able to hear you, and he may pipe in with questions also. And thank you to Dad for booking this interview. 
and I am able to hear him. Yay! Upon receiving your mask in the mail, Avi, I have to ask, will the package include instructions on how properly to wear a mask? For instance, is it supposed to just go over my eyes? Is it supposed to just be a bandana? Is it supposed to just protect my neck, perhaps merely my nose, or just my mouth? (laughs) Uh, Yes. Uh, So, uh, great question. Uh, The mask definitely does include some instructions, uh, care instructions as well. Um, and yes, of course, the mask should go over our, our nose and mouth. And our mask actually has adjustable ear loops, so you can sort of form fit it. Um, you know, it, it fits every face. Before we dive into how you how the company decided to do this wonderful thing, I would like to hear more about the company. How how did you come to be the uh, the the name of the co-founder? I hope you can tell us how to pronounce it. Just tell so that we have some background that helps us understand why you decided to do this marvelous thing. Well, certainly, I happy to happy to talk about it. So, um, my co-founder Kana Yochiku and myself, uh, you know, we started the company a little over two years ago now. I guess about two and a half years ago, and really, our vision is to make environmentally sustainable activewear. Uh, we call it activist wear. So we're very focused on, you know, making very high-quality apparel uh, that's made from groundbreaking, innovative fabrics. We have fabrics that are made from uh, recycled post-consumer plastic bottles. We have fabric made from bamboo, uh, and in the case of the masks, cotton. Uh, so we're very focused on sort of renewable and sustainable uh, uh, apparel that's high-performance uh, Primarily, we've made you know yoga pants and sports bras and that kind of stuff. We do have some menswear coming very soon as well. The inspiration behind a mask for every American, which is the name of our campaign, really came from my co-founder's mom. So his mother uh, is a registered nurse. Now, my co-founder grew up in Queens, New York, and it just so happens that the hospital where his mother works as a nurse is Elmhurst Hospital. Now, if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, Elmhurst Hospital was the one really featured in uh, the media as sort of the epicenter of the epicenter. You know, we all knew that New York City was the epicenter with the numbers uh, when things were getting really bad initially. Uh, but the, uh, if you recall, the, the hospital that had the refrigerated trucks, you know, behind the building because the morgue, it was, you know, overflowing and it was just really, really heartbreaking. This is where my co-founder's mom works full-time. Um, and so she contacted him and said, hey, you know, we're supposed to be getting rid of these disposable masks, you know, on a daily or even, you know, every few hours uh, on, a, on a, you know, a, a frequent basis. And I've been wearing the same disposable mask for over a week because we don't have enough equipment. And so the PPE shortage... Uh, really hit home for us. So we said, what can we do? You know, uh, we, we know fabric. We know how to make apparel. We've got the supply chain. We've got the sort of all the mechanical parts sort of dialed in, right? We know we can, we can make a mask. So we quickly prototyped a mask uh, that we think is extremely uh, high quality. And we just said, you know what? We're just going to give them away for free. And we'll just, we created a GoFundMe. Uh, and if you go to Devani.com, you can just donate uh, to the GoFundMe. Uh, you can also, um, you know, 
buy a mask, and that helps us give away masks with those proceeds. Uh, and of course, if you cannot afford a mask, you're a person in need who, who needs a mask, uh, you go to Devani.com slash free masks, and you just fill out the form and request a free mask. That is just the neatest story. There's a big problem right now. Well, so so do we have any idea of how many masks have been distributed in the world right now? What percentage of Americans have masks versus don't have masks? If that's any different in Oregon versus other places or Portland rather than other places? So that's a really good question and one that sort of points to uh, a lack of centralized planning uh, on a federal level. Um, we don't know. I don't think anybody knows. I don't think the CDC knows. I don't even think state governments know what percentage of the population actually has masks. And strangely, and I really, it, it, it boggles my mind, strangely the mask issue has become politicized. So now not only uh, do we not understand you know, who needs masks and who has masks, but we don't even understand really who's willing to wear one and the, the logic behind not being willing to wear one it just I, I don't get it do you guys get it <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I think I have an impression but dad it sounded like you wanted to say something no go ahead that uh, there the motivation right now that so much of the national conversation I'm not gonna offer anything that's rocket science the so much of the national conversation right now is driven by the White House and the White House's first priority is not to come to grips with reality and I'm not saying they're well, yeah, they are wanting, they have various priorities, and one of those is not dealing with the hard part. Uh, and recognize, and I, and I, uh, I, I guess I got to acknowledge at some level I don't get it, but if I had to speculate, I think there are a few factors. One is that this president doesn't think he can get reelected if the economy isn't open, and if there are masks everywhere, I think he's worried that people actually believe that there's a uh, that there is a global pandemic, and he's been hoping to put his head in a sand. He's wanted to put the mask over his eyeballs, as I think Time Magazine put on their cover. Uh, I think that is a a big piece of it. I do also worry though about uh, about manipulation by with people who have nefarious motives impacting the social media conversation because some of this is coming not only from top down but bottom up. So it does kind of freak me out. And and also because crit, we have such a such a partisan thing going on that once some people think a thing, other people think have to think the opposite thing. I do worry that's at least a little bit of it as well. I wish I Yeah, I Yeah, go ahead. I, I I agree with that completely and I also think, you know, at the end of the day leadership uh, you know, isn't just about the things that we say, it's about the things that we do. And if you recall back in March or April, uh, during you know these daily press conferences, you have Anthony Fauci wearing a mask, you have multiple people up there wearing masks, and Trump specifically not wearing a mask. And I think, you know, when asked about it, he said, I choose not to wear one. And it took months and months and months for him to finally make a public appearance in a mask. Uh, and I and you know and and Pence, if I'm not mistaken, actually wore a mask in public and endorsed the idea of wearing a mask as a, you know medically and scientifically a good idea. Um, you know, it took months before Trump finally showed up uh, in the press wearing a mask. So I think you have you know uh, a base that follows leadership by their behavior. They essentially emulate the behavior of their leader, and I think that's very common. I mean, that's just the nature of, of leadership. Uh, and I also think that, you know, ultimately, it, it's ironic, if you want the economy open, and that's your primary issue, then 
you should be very supportive of masks because the only way that we're going to be able to open businesses again is with this sort of new version of how things work. I just went grocery shopping yesterday, and we all know what the experience is like now being out in the world. Masks are required, obviously mandated now by by the governor on a statewide level, but even prior, my grocery store mandated it months ago just to enter the building. Uh, and then, of course, they have the enforced sort of checkout areas where they have the markings on the floors with the social distancing. So uh, I actually think masks are part of how we can get the economy happening again. So it's, it's, it's ironic that they seem to be uh, narratives that are at odds with one another. Tell us a little bit more about the mask. When I speculate what a mask could be, obviously it should cover the nose and the mouth. But it also, I would think, should be washable. Ideally, should be hand washable. Ideally, then should be able to dry quite quickly so that you could put it back on. Tell, tell us a little bit more about the actual, um, am I right? And if not, tell me what I should have said. And if I am, do you comply? You're 100% right, and we absolutely do. So our masks are, uh, as recommended by the CDC, they're double layered, so two layers of fabric. Uh, it's 100% cotton. Uh, it's it's reusable, it's washable, uh, it does dry quickly, and we do recommend washing it frequently. Uh, in theory, every time you go out in public, uh, you should you know wash it when you when you get home, uh, and you know that that really is uh, the intention. And then you, you know you want it, you know you sometimes see people sort of barely wearing the mask or their nose is poking through. You don't want that. You want your nose uh, and your mouth completely covered. Uh, and this is really, you know, there, there seems to be a little bit of a misinterpretation where people think it's protecting me when I wear a mask. Actually, sure, there is some degree of protection you get wearing a mask, but more so, this is about protecting the people around us. So what we've learned about this particular virus is that one can be asymptomatic and be infected and be contagious. So you may feel completely healthy and not realize that you're actually a carrier and you could spread it. So wearing a mask uh, prevents people from spreading it outwardly. And of course, it also protects to a degree, uh, you know, to the, to the person wearing, wearing the mask. And in just the last 24 hours, the reports are that kids as young as 10 years old can be the asymptomatic <laughs> spreaders. Is, uh, do, this, do, the, do your masks have different sizes? The reason I asked that because the first mask I got was just too small for me. It, it about took my ears off. Are there different sizes? And, and how does, if so, how does one know what size to request? Great question. Our mask is one size fits all, and we are aware of you know the huge spectrum of sizes that are required. So what we figured out was, you know, the primary issue is that the ear loops. Uh, tend to change in, in you know the, the size that that kids need versus adults versus bigger adults. So our ear loops are adjustable, and so that allows the masks to truly uh, fit everybody. Uh, and and do they attach over the ears or do they go around the head? They go over the ears. Over the ears, which is the easiest to put on and off. Tell I, I'm I'm delighted to hear that it is possible to buy them because obviously if 300 million people all ask for a freebie. I think even I think your company would have a hard time surviving. Tell, tell us, tell people exactly how they can apply to buy a mask, and then the folks who can't afford it can go ahead and ask for the free one. Absolutely. 
thank you for bringing that up. And you're absolutely right that, you know, there's over 300 million people in America and our commitment to provide a mask to every single person in the country who needs one uh, is real. Um, and of course, the challenge is financial. So, you know, initially we were not selling masks whatsoever. We were exclusively giving them away and asking for donations to help us do so. The challenge with that is it only provided enough funding to give away about 50,000 masks. And, you know, we've given out well over 50,000 masks to folks in need. Uh, and, you know, you name it, you know, Say that again. senior facilities, uh, the Hopi Nation, uh, homeless outreach, nonprofits. Uh, and of course, individuals all over the country. If you go to Devani.com, it's D-H-V-A-N-I.com slash free masks, there's basically three options. One, you can just donate. If you already have a mask, you don't need one, you just donate to the GoFundMe to help us out. Two, you can certainly buy a mask. We're charging $10 for a mask. 100% of those proceeds go to giving away masks to those who can't afford one. And then, of course, the third option, if you can't afford a mask and you need one, uh, you just fill out the form on the page and you submit and you request uh, a free mask. Of course, there is a wait list um, because, you know, we, uh, we are in need of funding to get this done, which is why we decided to start selling the masks as well. Okay, listeners, make sure you have your pen or pencil handy because I'm going to ask him to once again slowly give the place where you go to do that so that you'll so you have it okay go for it great it's d h v a n i dot com slash free masks that's davani dot com slash free masks that's just a wonderful thing avi before you bounce let me ask this what has been the biggest challenge for you in doing it is it really just public opinion, people's desire to wear a mask? Have you had supply chain issues? What have been barriers in your way? The biggest barrier is, is financial. Uh, the supply chain is completely dialed in. We're nowhere near capacity. We could, we could make and distribute significantly more masks on a daily basis if we just had the funding. That's really our only issue. Uh, there's no shortage of people who need the masks. Um, and we have no, no issues with the capacity to you know, make and, and distribute them. Uh, it's really just about, you know, covering the, the basic costs. And how do you go about that? Is that by some people buying masks? Is that by trying to get sort of venture capital, sort of seed money? Is that by trying to get grants? How are you trying to solve the money problem? Great question. So we, uh, you know, we have the GoFundMe. Uh, you can just click right on the right on the donate button and that'll take you to the GoFundMe. We've raised about $280,000 so far, which is amazing, but also nowhere near enough to give away the millions of masks that we've we've committed to, to giving away um, and you can also buy a mask if you purchase a mask or five masks or however many masks from the site a hundred percent of those proceeds go right back into making and giving away the masks um, and so it's interesting that you bring up you know the uh, the seed funding and, and venture capital we have not pursued uh, any kind of venture capital uh, with the company yet. It's something that we think about, something we talk about. We're open to, you know, uh, the right strategic investor, but that's really not a big priority. And if you think about it from the standpoint of a, of a venture capitalist, um, you know, uh, they generally want a return on their investment as opposed to just, you know, hey, take my money and make masks and give them away. Um, so a, a grant is a brilliant idea. Um, please, you know, <laughs> send any ideas my way. 
um, any nonprofits, any foundations, any organizations that specifically look to do good with some kind of fund, um, certainly this would be an amazing cause. We do have uh, a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, you it's said, called you do have a 501c3? We certainly do, sir. We've oh, got that's great. Yeah, we, we actually created something called the, the Million Dollar Mask Challenge. So the Million Dollar Mask Challenge, you know, the target audience for this is a very small group of people, if you think about it. We're saying, hey, if you're a billionaire or if you've got a big foundation or a trust, uh, we think you should step up and donate a million dollars. It's tax deductible. It's a nonprofit. And we'll take 100% of that money and we will make masks, give them away. And based on our costs and the way the whole supply chain works, that's hundreds of thousands of people in need who will get free masks from just that one $1 million donation. Well, I want to thank you again, Avi, for taking this time. We did have a question from uh, from a listener. There's currently a problem with masks ending up in the ocean. How do you make sure they don't just end up in the ocean or that they're good for the ocean? Oh, wow, I'm not aware of that. My, my understanding, uh, I would guess, that that's a disposable mask issue. Is that is that specific to disposable masks? I don't know. It's just a question okay. somebody asked. Yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not aware of that. But that's people are trying to make boats you know. out of them. Interesting. No, uh, I, we have not heard of that issue. Everybody that's received our mask seems to be you know using it on a daily basis and washing it and caring for it. And they don't go to the beach. It's good. We don't want them ending up in the ocean. That may just that really may be disposable masks. We'll look into it. We might not include that portion of the podcast because I don't have chapter and verse on the facts. But Avi, thank you so much. Anything else we should have asked that we failed to? No, this has been uh, very thorough and fantastic. Thank you, Avi Brown, co-founder of Avani. You can check out the Million Dollar Mask Challenge. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Time for local news. Here's a big story. City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty has issued Mayor Ted Wheeler an ultimatum. A week ago, Hardesty said she had no interest in running the police bureau. Then federal law enforcement arrived in Portland. Within a week, at least one protester was severely injured by federal agents. Hardesty has strongly condemned the collaboration between the Portland Police Bureau and federal agents. And on Saturday... She wrote a statement that ended with this bold request. Mayor Wheeler, if you can't control the police, give me the Portland Police Bureau. As of Sunday, Wheeler's office has yet to respond. Dad, if you were in Ted Wheeler's shoes, what would you do? Would you give the Police Bureau to Joanne Hardesty? Would you say, no, no, I'm going to do this? And if you were going to do this, what would this mean? Well, before I respond to that question, I have to comment that I thought you, a week or so ago, made a very insightful observation on the relationship that Commissioner Hardesty and the mayor had apparently developed and and the significance of that in mayoral politics. And it appears that that with that letter, she has resigned from whatever conscious detente there was between them. So as the question, if I were mayor, what would I do? Well, I would like to think what I would have done would have been to start a long time ago addressing the overall problem. Uh, I would certainly be working with Chief Charles Lowell with doing things like what the chief has done, expanding the community engagement division, maybe beyond just the six people he's expanded to it beyond that. Uh, I would I would be... Uh, doing everything I could and would have been doing everything I could to 
have training of police to help them recognize that attacking people, physically particularly attacking people, is in the long run not the best way to get people to not want to rebel. And, uh, oh, what, and then, then I would hope that I would have been working with the legislature and with the council for the funding and the federal government for the funding to do what clearly needs to be done, and that is to create entities that are designed to deal with homeless people, that are designed to deal with people suffering mental problems, so that the police can be relieved of that burden and they can concentrate on things like burglaries and thefts and robberies and the stuff that we really need the police for. You didn't ask, but offer you my view as well. The, I think he's got a couple options. I actually think he might only have one option. I think I actually now have advice for the mayor, which I didn't a moment ago, but now I do, and it was helpful to listen to you. Thank you for offering those thoughts. One option is he could hand it over to Joanne Bowman, Joanne Hardesty, excuse me, former name Bowman, and ask her to lead the police bureau. I think that that would be... Uh, challenging an election year to then be able to say, oh, well, I wasn't in a position to show the leadership the city needed, so I gave it to somebody who I thought she could show that leadership. If he had, there's still, maybe, it's still an option, right? You could say, well, right now, I think we need the kind of leadership that comes from lived experience, and you could lean into that. that. That is an option. I think the other option is to go more boldly than Joanne went with her recent proposal with the police budget. I think that if he, if there, if this is not just, uh, if this is not just a, uh, an exercise where the mayor is in on the joke and they're they're sort of coordinating communications, and in fact this does demonstrate a disagreement between them, then I think he might say, well, you know what, I actually think we should go even further than we've already gone on transformation of public safety. Uh, he could loop in. He, he could try to do even more. Uh, he could move to a three one one system to try to. Uh, advanced non-emergency calls. He could add to mental health. He could try to include the fire department in the public safety transformation. He could engage with the legislature to change statewide statutes. That's a big move. I don't know how much uh, uh, Commissioner Hardesty has engaged with the legislature, but the mayor of Portland could go way in and say, listen, we want the strongest package we can possibly get. We want to support Representative Janelle Bynum and Senator James Manning and their work to go as boldly as we can possibly go. And he could and he could not only make a show of it, but do some work. He did that. He did some political work around in the earlier days of COVID-19 to arrange the statewide shutdown, arranging for some pressure to be applied, according to the reporting, upon, uh, upon Kate Brown. The uh, and then he could also work with Joanne, work with Commissioner Hardesty on independent police review. On get that's one that's something that she wants to get passed out of the council to have an independent police review with teeth. And he could go out and try to show leadership there. I think that's the anyway. I think that's the move. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I think the likelihood of his turning the reins over to Commissioner Hardesty. Slim to none, but I could be, but 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 I have been wrong many times before. 
The employment department hopes to speed up their jobless claims with a new Google-based online form. They hope there's still 50,000 Oregonians waiting on their unemployment benefits. The employment department hopes the new form will help get money in the hands of people, speed up the process. The new system will automate weekly claims processing, freeing up time to register new claims. It'll also check for gaps in the information before a claim is submitted, cutting down the time spent pursuing missing data. The new system went into effect on Friday. Uh, Dad, have you, 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 you are retired. You haven't engaged with this. Uh, another piece of the employment story is that teachers now are finally starting to receive their jobless benefits. They got furloughed one day a week. That's a 20% pay cut. The idea being that they would then get that filled in with employment benefits, and now they're starting to get that money. Uh, our family member, Jonathan, is a teacher. Have you guys talked about it? Did he get his check? We haven't. I haven't talked to him about it. I will now. Portland City Council is scheduled to vote on COVID-19 priorities this Wednesday, $114 million. Biggest piece is Multnomah County Public Health. That's $20 million, $9 million also for uh, specifically to citywide COVID-19 response, $19 million to the increasing homelessness crisis, $17 million to rent assistance and mortgage counseling. And, Dad, it is fire season. A wildfire in Deschutes National Forest yeah, it already con- started. has continued to spread. Uh, is this, what fresh heck is this? Do you think that this is merely a distraction? Is fire season just a distraction so we're not talking about the federal election? Well, it may be a distraction, but it's a reality with which we must deal. I'm, I'm obviously being silly. Metro, Metro is going to submit a seven billion dollar bond proposal for transportation for the Southwest Max Line Plus Plus. I'm a little skeptical about putting on a seven billion dollar bond proposal when people are suffering because they don't have an income. We will see. Warm Springs, the Warm Springs is just hurting so badly because their water system is a disaster and it's a it, it maybe is a, a 200 million dollar fix for that but uh, there there are warm spring folks that simply some of them just do not have access to to safe water the uh, uh, oh something that uh, this is not important, perhaps, but Portland, which has consistently been rated as the number one airport in the country, this year we're number two. Did you catch that? I did. I know how it feels. It's a uh, it's a bummer to drop from number from favorite to second favorite. Indianapolis, Indianapolis got number one. I talked to one friend of mine from Indiana, and he he didn't seem to have any amazing things to say about the Indianapolis airport. I I flew into the Indianapolis airport just two years ago. I don't remember being dazzled by it. I still think we're better than them. But, you know, Michael Jordan did not win the MVP every year, right? Carl Malone won it, uh, won it. Charles Barkley won it. Because voters are like, well, listen, we know Michael Jordan's the best player, but who are you going to vote for this year? Right? Yeah, and he didn't win it sometimes simply because they thought that some of the guys thought, well, this guy's had it enough. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's boring to vote for the same thing every single time. Well, Dad, if you don't have any other local news, it might be a time for Straw in the Wind. Well, actually, I do have a couple more local things I want to mention. There was an article that maybe should be checked out to make sure it was correct, that Fred Meyer 
is running out of coins, and so you don't. If if you pay with cash and you're due back some coins, you're not going to get the coins. I don't know if that means that they're going to round it up. So if you're due back more than fifty cents, you get a dollar bill. If it's less than fifty cents, you're out of luck. But that's something perhaps worth watching. Serious consideration. And it's not just Fred Meyer. It's not just Fred Meyer. There is a coin shortage in the United States. Yes, it does include Kroger, includes Walmart, includes CVS. All of those folks are having a hard time uh, because a lot of uh, it, a lot of those companies are having a hard time with coins because a lot of people have shifted the way they pay. They're not paying in cash, so they weren't taking restaurants and banks, getting it into circulation. So now there's just less coinage in circulation. The serious proposals to shut down prisons in Oregon, first to go maybe the Shelter Creek 300-bed facility in Coos County, Next, the Warner Creek 492-bed facility in Lake County as a way to address the budget shortfall. Of course, the budget shortfall is going to be serious because when people don't earn, they don't pay taxes. And when they don't pay taxes, the government doesn't have any money. Dad, this might, finally, this might finally be the chance, speaking of the previous story, to abolish the penny. It was an episode in West Wing. It apparently cost more than a penny to make a penny. So this might be, you know, don't waste a crisis. Get rid of the penny. COVID-19 might be the chance to, and, and I will say, if Thomas Jefferson were on the penny and, and Abraham Lincoln were on the nickel, I think that it would be, and so maybe if Trump's in charge, he might get rid of Lincoln just because, you know, he's sort of mad about the ending of the slavery thing. That was mean and nasty. I probably shouldn't have said that. But, the, uh, but if, if uh, it might be more likely even for Trump to get rid of the penny. But I don't know. I don't know. We'll see if the penny survives. What's your last thing? Otherwise, strong. Three, three quick, unimportant things that I think are just fun to know. Usain Bolt has named his daughter Olympia Lightning Bolt. Nice. There's a prediction that the tattoo removal business by 2025 will be over $4 billion bucks because so many people are sad that they went and got a tattoo and want to get rid of it. And last... Science says that the maximum number of hot dogs that could possibly be eaten in 10 minutes is 83. The record, the record so far is only 75. Really? What's the guy's name? What's the what's the hot dog eating champion's name? He's he wins it every year. I don't remember his name. It, it, Joey Chestnut, isn't it Joey Chestnut? Yes, yeah, Joey Chestnut. He he wins it and breaks his own record like every year. I thought it was like he'd only done like 71, uh, but. Uh, uh, but okay, you say seventy-five. I believe it. So, but it says physically, it is physically possible to get to eighty-three. Well, that is something else entirely. Until <laughs> until humanity grows another stomach. Well, Dad, it is time for a straw in the wind. And I have straws in the wind. Like a straw. First straw in the wind. W is Super Pack. W that is Bush, the the younger, is going to spend its money on Joe Biden. Instagram has decided to remove all advertising for conversion therapy. And then last, oh, so sad, Honda Accords will are no longer being made with stick shifts. I sent that to you. I sent that story to you. Folks don't understand the saga in our family of the Honda Accord and the stick shift, uh, but it's pop doesn't like automatics. Reduces one's sense of control. <laughs> All right, Dad. Well, we did it one more time. We did it indeed. We'll be back on Thursday. Love you, Pop.